innocence. Why did you kill those three people, man? They were innocent. They didn't even see the crime. Two of them were innocent. The other one, on the other hand, gave me a very, very dirty $20 bill, and I was not pleased with that. Dude, every dollar bill is dirty. Like, there's, what do they say, like, uh, like 80% or so of, like, $100 bills have trace amounts of cocaine on them? That, and I think it's, like, uh, just around the same number, also have traces of poop on them. Uh, that's just from people being nasty in general. But I think, like, everything being just, like, your wallet just being a petri dish of every single thing your hands have touched and everything that money has been exchanged for, ever. It's just a good <laughs> way to build the immune system. Uh, yeah, sure. So, uh, on this very disgusting episode of Maker's Pace, uh, we're, I'm here today with... My name is uh, Austin Zangi. Should and, I give my full yeah, address? What do you do? You tell me your thing. <laughs> so uh, my name is Austin. Uh, you might know me or hopefully soon to know me as uh, ZAX. Um, I work for Miscreants as a audio engineer slash video producer. Should I be looking at the camera? Just look at whatever you want to look at, man. Look into your beautiful eyes. Oh, God. Don't let my girlfriend that. Anyway. <laughs> um, so. Anyways, I make music, make videos. And outside of work, I also make music. For myself, got a couple tracks on just about any music platform that you could think of, so feel free to check it out, but new stuff on the way. New stuff on the way. Lowe's, never stop improving. We're not sponsored by Lowe's, but it is fun to use their slogan. But, but I mean, hey, like Lowe's, if you're listening, like, we'll take it. I mean, would you do a, a jingle for Lowe's? Like, I would do a jingle for Lowe's. Give me a rundown. What would it be? Acapella. Acapella? Yeah. Hmm. A little bleep bloop. Little beep beep boop 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 pop. Maybe like a little shoo. Come get your hardware shoo. <laughs> <laughs> that works. I think it's the first time I've actually had like a sound room. This would probably be the cleanest sounding episode of Makerspace. That's the goal. I mean, I don't know. That's weird because sometimes it's a little too clean. So there's like this fine line with acoustic soundproofing where like you can actually do too much. And when you don't leave like natural ambience in the room, it makes things sound really weird. Like what? Uh, like it's almost like its own reverb because basically like this, like the, the sound waves are like bouncing around all over the room. And so something that people do to counteract that is a thing called a diffuser that, which you also put on the walls. And basically it refracts the sound waves in such a way that it still dampens the noise, but allows for a natural ambience. Whereas this, when it completely deadens the sound, like say, for example, sometimes when I record stuff, it'll almost make it sound like it's like weirdly compressed because mm. it, the only thing it has to go off of is the voice. There's no equalizing to like other um, elements that I should say. So there's no noise for it to deal with. It's dealing with one strict uh, signal. See, these are the things I, I never consider when I hear, listen, listen to music or watch movies or anything like there's so much like fine tuning and detailing and like technical prowess that goes into making any kind of media. So I, props to you for like learning all this stuff because I will like never be able to understand it. Like, <laughs> the stuff you said. I'm sure makes a lot of sense to a, a few people, but <laughs> it, <laughs> it sounds cool, man. <laughs> it's it's honestly crazy too because like what I do versus like some of that stuff you named is doesn't even scratch the surface. Like what I do for like music and stuff is one thing, but like sound design for movies and stuff, insane. Like that's like a whole nother ball game in itself. Like I don't know if you've ever seen videos of people doing like sound for movies, like mm -hmm. Marvel movies. Like they have like people in a room with just props. Like Foley artists. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's like some of the stuff that you can achieve is just kind of insane to me. Yeah, I saw a video they did for Ratatouille where they like had to go through a kitchen with a banging a bunch of pots and pans together in time with how the uh the animation was doing it that was crazy it's insane like honestly like props to those people like i watched 
Adam Savage go through the Marvel or the Skywalker Sound Studio and going through all the Marvel stuff and like their project files, I'm not even joking, had 9,000 different items inside of it. I I don't know how they do that. It's, like, it was it's all such, such one cohesive scale. project. It was like actually mind-boggling to me. <sighs> Props to, to you guys for learning this. So, like, how do you pick up a lot of this stuff? Just like YouTube tutorials or like other artists? Like, what, what's your your, your learning process for those techniques yeah so i mean i was entirely self-taught so i i mean i grew up with a little bit of a background in music i was you know trumpet in hand by the age of four but you know as i'm I sure left, your parents loved that and your neighbors growing up yeah neighbors not so much mom was the one that gave me the trumpet though so <laughs> in a weird way she encouraged it but it was it was interesting because you know i loved music all my life and then i ended up somehow going to school for computer science how that happened i will never know money yeah, money yeah. uh but anyway so, so then yeah this is one thing i want to touch on because you got to like your music career uh in a kind of roundabout way yeah it was a definitely i wouldn't say it was at a later stage because i would say it was only like a year or two after most people would start college when i decided to pick it up but yeah so i ended up going to college dropping out after less than a year because i realized wow i hate computer science i can't code for anything I don't hate it, but it wasn't my forte. Mm-hmm. And so then I, you know, I end up leaving, going to get a job in retail, which was just grueling and miserable. And if anything, that was the wake up call because that was like, you get so uncomfortable with something that that becomes your motivation. That uncomfortableness becomes the motivation to do something more. Mm-hmm. And so then I came to this roundabout of like, well, I love music. I've loved music all my life why don't I get back into doing that, but in a much more modern professional setting. So then I just, like you said, YouTube videos, literally studying some of my favorite artists, like just taking the time to like go back and listen to some of your favorite songs, but look at them in a new light after you learn some of these things from YouTube videos, you, you get this fresh perspective of like, how do your favorite artists make some of your favorite songs and how can you recreate that in your own likeness? Have you ever tried like to one for one recreate a song? Uh, not exactly. A lot of the times I will use songs as infor- like inspiration. So like maybe I will start with a recreation, but then I will eventually like twist that and then make some sort of weird amalgamation that by the end of it sounds nothing at all like the song I set out to recreate. But it's a starting point. But it's a starting point. And it gives me a place to like basically plant a seed and let that blossom. Yeah, because I know like the visual arts, the first way you start to build your own repertoire your own toolkit of of things that you can know how to like make and do and stuff is to replicate other people's visuals or textures or styles compositions things like that yes so do do you do basically this like a similar process for you uh so me personally i don't i kind of wish that i did because that is actually a very common thing in music like if you go and look in like any reddit forum or anything well, like that i did that, a cover of this yeah thing. people will talk about covers and they'll talk about just read like even if you're just new not even trying to be a songwriter but just say even a producer like they'll come to you and say yeah, the best thing that you can do is learn how to just try to recreate a song that you like because along the way it allows you can separate your mind away from the songwriting aspect of it and actually focus more on the technical side of it, all the production aspects. And you can actually start to break down and like look at some of these sounds or some of the ways where you can be like, wow, that vocal, you know, it sounds so cool, but this vocal that I've made doesn't nearly have that same feeling or energy. So then how do I recreate that? And then that one little problem becomes a whole rabbit hole of like rabbit or of uh, YouTube tutorials <laughs> of just like, okay, so how do I make this one thing sound like this one thing? But that's honestly, I would say the best way to get better at it. What was like the hardest, th- like 
speed bump or hiccup they had to get over with you know starting a, a you know to make music money money so okay i mean so you're not this isn't an actual band like a traditional band so no. you don't have to buy instruments you don't have to buy a lot of stuff but like software i know you have you kitted out your studio but like yes you're I doing a lot of the same stuff with even half the equipment so you, s- you mostly focus on like electronic music was that an easier i mean in, in your opinion how, how like how was that compared to like trying to start a, a you know a garage band so i would say in comparison to saying to trying to start like a garage band or something hands down a lot easier electronic music you could get away with making electronic music with just a laptop and some software mm-hmm. that's literally all you need you need a daw and a computer and you can make anything but like you know when it comes down to like a rock band then it comes down to a lot of other bigger costs like instruments audio interfaces preamps all these other things and then you know stuff like this acoustically treated room that we're in we wouldn't need that typically if you have a good pair of headphones like with your laptop you can make electronic music but like you know you typically need a good space to be able to record and that's another thing you need microphones and all these other fun things so it definitely would be a lot less accessible to do like an actual live instrument band but it doesn't mean that it's out of the question and so it's not like pay to play but you it still makes it easier to have all the fun toys and gadgets gadgets and stuff right exactly and i would say if you're going to make a rock band like don't let that discourage you because like it's still, I would say, even worthwhile if you're starting with the electronic starter kit, like laptop, headphones. Learn how to master stuff. Ex- not even mastering. I would say stay away from mastering. That's a whole beast in itself. That's like you have people who go to school for eight years just to learn how to master music. Like, Can you go into that a little more? Because I'm not sure if I understand the difference. So mastering music is like putting the final touch on something. It's like putting the primer on the table when you're all done with it and slapping the, you know, the finishing touch. So basically... I would say music in itself has like three main stages. There's the writing, the mixing, and then the mastering. So like you have the writing is pretty, you know, straightforward. You're writing the song, you're trying to come up with melodies, lyrics, anything of that sort. And then you get to your next phase when you get pretty content with that. And usually for me, phase one and two are pretty hand in hand because I like things to sound good while I'm writing them. So I have a good reference of what my song sounds like on paper versus in my head. Uh, But then mixing is just like, making everything sound good together so like you know it's one thing to have a guitar a vocal and drums but you have mixing is being able to put them all in a space and make them sound like they are all sitting in the same space but their volumes you know are not relatively overpowering with each other like they have to work in harmony and then mastering is the final phase of that so that's like okay I've gotten my songwriting perfect I've gotten my mixing perfect or as perfect as it is for me whether you've sent it out or done it yourself Mastering is literally taking that one exported like audio file. So not even working in your project anymore. Nine times out of 10, it's so much better to work in a new project because a lot of mastering things are very like processing intensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's basically like, that's like the icing on the cake basically. Like you have that nice cake and maybe you have like a base layer of icing, but now you're gonna get all the like little floral things in there. So it's kind of like you're, you're saturating it or compressing it and you know doing all these sorts of things to basically take you know what is a rough or close to final mix and making it like sound as like clean and full as possible that's a lot it's a lot that's that's a lot (laughs) i will go ahead and say i am not a mastering engineer by any means it's something i've started dabbling in in the last couple of years but like i said there's people that go to school for eight years just to learn how to do that one thing so it seems like there's a pretty low barrier to entry to really get started in making music but a very very high ceiling cap or like a skill cap 
yes. ceiling and that's, words. And that's honestly the thing that I love the most about music is like there are so many different things you can do. You could spend your whole life dedicated to like one particular thing in music and by the end of your lifetime, you will probably still have not seen the end of the like amount of knowledge that you could find in that particular tree. And even then, you still haven't even scratched what is a, like a fraction of like the amount of knowledge you can learn of music in a, like in a whole. Like it's truly incredible to me, and that's why I think I like it so much. Is because there's never like a period where you feel like you can feel stagnant in your writing, but it never means that there's never like anything to work on. Like no matter how much you've learned, how far you've come, there's always more to learn. And that's what I love about it is there's always something to do next. So what's your, what is your thing to do next? I know you've put a couple songs on Spotify, but you're working on a lot more stuff uh, currently that you're trying to put out soon. Yes. So I would say like this last year or so was definitely a little, it was a little bit of a weird period for me. Right. So, you know, I just got this new job working for miscreants as an audio engineer. And that was definitely a big transition for me. Cause I would say that was my first like lucrative professional gig, you know, in music or audio. So a lot of this year was me getting, you know, in tune with that, learning how the industry actually works, you know, from like a more business side of things rather than like a creative side of things. And, but it's in regards to my own stuff. Yeah. So I've actually, I took a long hiatus away from music because, you know, and I think a lot of artists will do this. They kind of break away. They feel that they're not content with what they're you're making. Burnt out. You get burnt out. Yeah. And, you know, I, I reached this point where I thought, well, because I had also sent music out to labels, heard nothing back. And while that's very discouraging, it's actually a very common thing. So anyone out there that's trying to release their own music, like if you send music out to labels, don't be and you don't hear anything back don't get discouraged by it like just keep trying like that's ultimately the main thing that you can do and like it's a numbers game it's a numbers game and i would say your biggest thing is like don't go for labels right out the gate like as you know as enticing as that can really be it's really not your smartest move like i would take a good look at your music and like listen to that and compare it to like whoever your favorite artist is or whoever you think your music can closely relate to and be like does this actually sound like even remotely good or even like close to the quality of like what this sounds like? Because a lot of the times from what I've heard, A and R at labels, they will literally they give your track like 10 seconds. And if they aren't immediately interested, it's goodbye. We're on to the next one. Damn. Wow. Yeah. It's honestly a very brutal, brutal market, but it's also very oversaturated. So it's like, you can't really complain too much because you are literally fighting thousands and thousands of people who are, out there with the same goal in mind as you yeah yeah so i mean you've also found fortunately this like more business uh side of things where you're not like it's not as competitive you're not as fighting you know for a spot on like a or the attention of some exact uh, record label you know how does it feel now like stepping into this weird thing where you have less creativity but you have more of a guarantee of like an ability to work so it's it's at first you know it was like this weird feeling for me because it was honestly weird adjusting to like you said that lack of creativity so like you kind of go in with this mindset of like cool i've got this job that i get paid to make music i i've got all these great ideas and then you come to learn clients are not creative right it's <laughs> like going from painting you know being a painter you know classic style trying to sell stuff in an art gallery to making flyers for like a mayor's office it's exactly it's, you might have more of a, a stable job at the mayor's office but you know it's pretty limiting creativity but it, keep going on that i want to hear more of your thoughts yeah so it's pretty limiting you know and at first it was 
like it was a weird thing to get used to and getting used to it wasn't so much as the hard part it was more so the fact that it was a little bit of an adjustment too because you know me previously i got used to working all these hours in actual jobs like retail and stuff so then like music to me was an oasis that i could come home to but then when your oasis becomes the place that you spend all of your time in but it's no longer an oasis because you're doing things that aren't typically like what you would want to be doing with that time it starts to become like the burnout started to really set in You're jobbing the hobby yeah exactly and at first this was kind of grueling for me because like it was kind of it took a lot out of me to like have all these great ideas that would eventually get toned back so far because it was too much for a client or they were just looking for something a lot less and you know it, it felt discouraging in a way because you felt like by the end of it it was no longer like what you originally set out to make or it didn't feel like what you wanted to make in the first place but then at the you know here we are like a little over a year later since that just started and i actually kind of love it weirdly enough i love how anti-creative these people are because huh. it saves all of that creativity you don't have to put your heart and soul into everything exactly yes yeah. so like it's like it sucks because you know that eight hours in that day that i'm working on a jingle or a background track or something it's good because it keeps the juices flowing in like a technical aspect and it's keeping me practiced but then all of that creativity that i want to put into something i can save for my own projects and mm. then let it really just flourish so it's just practice keeping the muscles flexed you know staying active creatively exactly yeah yeah nice yeah and that is a, a pretty big thing for other you know, fields as well like i was just um volunteering with a, a student event at rit this past weekend called oh, nice. eureka um they were like it's a bunch of students that are working with a local organization this one happened to be cb rochester which is like a special needs care facility uh, they were working to like design a solution that could help, you know, with the, the, you know, some employee retention and, and outreach programs. And, oh, that's uh, awesome. I mean, how did that go? It was, it was pretty good. It was fun. You know, it was, it was nice to go back, uh, to my old alma mater and, you know, be an advisor to them and, you know, use the critical thinking I've learned, I've gained from being out in the real world to help students who are still sometimes in their little fantasy land. So, <laughs> right. uh, but on that, like, I remember being in school and putting my heart and soul into into every project and you know if if something is criticized harshly or if it doesn't go exactly the, w the way you think it's going to go like you know you you put your so much of yourself into your own projects that when it doesn't quite work out you it, it feels like a personal attack almost yes yes so yeah getting out in the real world and saying cl having clients be like yeah i don't really like it it's, you learn to like distance yourself from the project or distance yourself from the business mm -hmm. and kind of like, this is a job. This is, you know, use your creativity in a way that is effective and useful and gets the job done, but like, isn't so directly tied to you as a person. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That was, I would say like the biggest problem is because like I would pour my heart and soul into it. And you know, when you'd have these clients saying that they didn't like it, I like took that as a personal attack thinking like, okay but do you <gasps> not yeah like do you not like it because like i just wrote a bad song do you not like like you know because that's the problem too is like i feel like a lot of the time clients are very vague with either a what they want or b what they don't want which can you know it leads to a very iterative process but you know i would always take it offense because i'd be like am i not good enough like am i even in the right position should i not be working here and then you just come to find out no it's all perspective it's all opinion and at the end of the day i'm writing you know i started out writing things closer to my own projects where it was like i'm writing these crazy emotional like super wide awesome songs hey and man we're just looking to do a fundraiser you gotta chill out here yeah exactly <laughs> and it's just like hey so like this is literally just gonna be like a 30 second opener to a conference so can we like tone this back 30 notches like, <laughs> 
Play like Lord of the Rings. Actually, though, I'm not even joking. We had a we had a project we were working on, and I had sent my team lead my like first idea that I had come up with, and he goes, "So this is great, but this sounds like a space battle of like gods fighting gods, and I feel like I'm caught in the middle of it." And I was like, "So it's too epic." Did you like it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess you can make that work. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. It's on the back burner. I mean, we still got it if we ever want it. I don't think we will, though. <laughs> Likely not, unless we start coming up with, like, some kind of TV show or something. We probably won't have the music. Right. That would be cool, though. Hey, I mean, hey, Marvel, I mean, if you need, need any music, I mean, head a brother up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, like, what would you uh, – let's say Miscreants dissolved tomorrow for some reason, like, I don't know why we would. I oh hope God. we don't. But yeah, I'd be kind of out of luck there too. Uh, what would your like ideal be place be to like work? Would you still be independent? Would you like to work for like a major media company or something? What would you like to do? So if you had asked me this question a year ago, like my question, my answer to this question from a year ago to today would be two vastly different answers. If you'd asked me this a year ago, I would probably have said I would love to be an independent artist working for labels, going on tours things like that, which, you know, is a very unrealistic, not unrealistic, but hard to attain dream. Everyone wants to be a rock star. Everyone wants to be a rock star. But now, honestly, I've also come to realize in this last year, you know, growing as a person that I am very introverted and I like to be home. (laughs) And I think that's partially why I like music so much is because I can curl up in a room and shut myself out from the world and just write. So I actually have grown to really like this situation of like, you know, working with music as a business side because of the fact that like I'm not expected to go and do all these like touring events and things like that. I just so get more to of a make... producer than a performing artist. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I would say if anything, I would rather I mean, it's not to say that touring artist is out of the question. If that opportunity ever arises, like you got to take that like that's a once in a yeah. lifetime opportunity. You only got so much time on this planet. But like, aside from that, like if that didn't plan out, I would just, I would totally either be like a ghostwriter, producer, or even like try to just work as like A&R or run a label or something. I feel like running a music label would actually be like a big dream for me because in a way, that's my way of being like, okay, these, here's all these up and comers that I think are really good. Here's my opportunity to let them shine the way that I know that they're hoping someone is looking out for them. So you're basically creating the atmosphere that you wished you had when you had stepped into this. Exactly. And I respect that. That's, you know, paying it forward. That's a you know, nice thing for the, for the culture. Yeah. I always feel like I like the community, like I would be nothing without the community. You know, I, I didn't get the opportunity to be able to go back to school for any of this. So like, if it wasn't for the music community, all those amazing creators who are putting out those videos on YouTube and, you know, putting out all these samples or tutorials and things like that, like I would be nothing without them. I, I know you have like Max, but like, are there any other uh, mentors or like people that like gave you a little guidance or helped you along the way? Uh, aside from Max, not so much. Max was like the really big one for me. And if for what's those thing, what's this uh, artist name? Ruckus, right? Uh, so it used to be Ruckus, but uh, he is now going by Nearly Human because there's a lot of people that are named Ruckus. Um, ah, I gotcha. I personally like Nearly Human a lot better. I, I think, think it rolls cool. off it the tongue. Fits his vibe too. He's yeah. very like machine inspired. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, he doesn't have much out, but if you want to check him out, I mean, he does have one remix on SoundCloud. It's it is still under Ruckus though, so feel free to check that out. But. Uh, yeah, no, before I came across Max, I YouTube was all I had. So I was just literally going off of, like, intuition and instruction. Oh, I thought we lost it for a second. No, we're good. Okay. Yeah, I was just going off of intuition and instruction. And 
you know, it, that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. And especially being in an early stage, it's probably better that I was much more freeformed because of the fact that like, it's really hard to learn how to do something when somebody's kind of breathing down your neck, telling you the right way to do it, especially in a very creative industry like music, because music is all about self-expression. And if you have someone breathing down your neck from the get-go telling you how to do something, you're going to feel a lot more restricted in what you're allowed to do. So then how do you differentiate yourself from a lot of other electronic artists? Like some, you know, I know quite a few people that say like, Oh, it's all the same beep boop, you know, wub wub stuff. So I would say that is the case a lot of the time, but like, I would say the biggest thing for, you know, myself and any other new or soon to be emerging artist is finding your signature sound. And I know a lot of people hear that and they kind of just like brush that away. It's like, Oh yeah, I don't really need my own sound as long as I write good songs. And that, that'll get you far. Don't, you know, get me wrong. You gotta have a good foundation. Yeah. You, you writing a good song will definitely get you far, but like keeping a fan base, which is how you grow your career as an artist is the surefire way to do best and you know that's and the only way to do that is by having this sound that these people know that when they come to listen to your music they know they have a general idea of what to expect and they know that they're expecting that they're going to like it because they've liked every other thing that you've made and for me personally finding that sound was probably the hardest part of my entire career because it was i feel like finding your sound is also part of like this identity factor so like coming up with a good name for yourself that will be good for seo or just like that you feel fitting for yourself but like for me i my sound bounced all over the place so i started with beat boop dance music like very yeah, like ask, how would you describe your specific brand of music say so i started off with like your pretty standard boots and cats like house music you know i I feel like that was the easiest thing for me to pick up and, you know, getting into producing because there's not much to it. It's like, yeah, you've got a kick on every beat. You've got to clap every other beat. Very easy to write around. But then, you know, as I kept writing more and more, it just felt like that wasn't really it was me, but it wasn't me. So I was like, OK, so how do I evolve this? And then from there, I actually deviated away from house completely and started getting into like rap and hip hop beats for some reason, because there's something about like the actual like drums to hip hop that really speak to me. Like I love the patterns and whatnot. And you can see that in a lot of other like, you know, like trap music and stuff like that, or like say like Flume's music where he uses a lot of hip hop beats over like very electronic Hmm. arrangements. So I realized after, you know, a year or two of doing hip hop beats, I was like, okay, so how can I bring this together? And I also, ever since I was young, I've been very, very fond of like orchestral music. So I was like, okay, so now we know we got house music, hip hop music, orchestral music. And then I was also very fond of like Flume's granular sound. Like there's a thing called granular synthesis. And that's what Flume uses a lot where it gets a lot of those sounds that sound very like offbeat and like organic at the same time, Hmm. if that makes any sense. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll take your word for it. So like, so like, say like a non-granular synth could be like boop, 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 but like granular is like, like it's got, okay. So it's not so like, uh, like sectioned out. It it flows into itself. Yeah. So basically the reason it's called granular is because it takes samples of audio and cuts them into little mini portions called grains. And Mm -hmm. then it'll like disperse those grains out in like whatever, like pattern you tell it to do through the synthesizer. And I've always thought that's really cool because, like I said, it sounds very organic and it makes it feel like your music has more movement to it. It feels a little more raw, but it's hard to keep within control at the same time. So now my sound at this point has evolved to this like amalgamation of trying to combine all of these elements. So I would say like the best way for me to describe it is like 
this future bass sound that is also very orchestral and granular at the same time. Epic. It, yes, very. Yes, actually, that's a perfect word for it. Like a, a lot of my songs end up being very wide and like grandiose sounding because like my favorite things from orchestral orchestral from orchestral arrangements are the strings and choirs choirs to me make any song sound so much like more epic and so much better like having like a normal chorus that's just like ding 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 ding, ding is like one thing but when you got like oh. Oh, oh, going on in the background it just makes that ding a ding a ding sound so much better i'm definitely using that as a social media clip. <laughs> <laughs> but um so that brings me to video game music so I know I you and that. I share a passion for Dark Souls. Oh, we do. That's honestly, I would not even joke, probably one of my biggest inspirations for keeping going in music. Really? Yes. All right, tell me more about that. Like, what's up with video game music that, like, so I wouldn't butters even s- your biscuit? Well, okay, so I do love video game music. Don't get me wrong. Like, I listen to that just as much as I do, like, classical and orchestral stuff. But I would say the reason Dark Souls specifically has impacted my musical career is because... I feel like any Dark Souls game or any of the like the FromSoft titles, they teach you a very important lesson. And sometimes it doesn't click with you right off the bat. But that lesson is that like you are expected to fail. And I think that is, you know, that can translate to anything that you're trying to do in life is like no matter what you do, you are expected to fail. You're never going to get it on the first try. And if you do, you are very lucky and don't expect that to happen again. So that's why I love it is because you have this expectation that you have to fail. And so then from there you have to learn, okay, well, if I know that I'm going to fail, how do I succeed? And then every single time that you fail, it becomes a learning experience. So like say with Dark Souls, if you keep dying to this one boss, no matter how many times you keep dying, you're gonna notice that each time you're fighting that boss, you're getting a little bit better and learning it a little bit better. And that goes for, that translates to any industry, you know, say with music, like, me sending out music to record labels and stuff, I inevitably failed and it, I was heartbroken by it, but I shouldn't have been. I should have expected that and used that as an opportunity of being like, okay, well, what did the labels not like about the music or what could I have done better? And use that as an opportunity to be, it's like a determination factor of just like, don't let failure be the reason why you quit your passion. Like if you're passionate about it, keep going. Like that's actually one thing that I've learned that is very important about the music industry or any like creative industry you it doesn't matter if you have passion like all of those think about all those thousands of people that we've talked about that are in that same pool as you trying to get that exact same job as you every single one of those people also has that same passion what gets you places is obsession obsession Hmm. is that factor that basically means no matter what you are waking up every single day and choosing to do that thing over anything else and you are trying to find ways to like push your own work, but also the industry forward and finding new creative ways to experiment with these new things. Like obsession will overcome passion any day of the week and obsession will push you farther and wherever you want to go. So how in that case, do you combat burnout? So burnout is a little tricky. I would say I don't really respond well to burnout. So that's where I like having other hobbies that come into play. So like, that's the thing I love about my job at Miscreants is like, I do music for stuff, but I'm also a video editor and I do a lot of video work too. So that helps combat the burnout. But the same goes for outside of work. You know, I have a lot of other hobbies and stuff that I like to do. And 
because of that, I try to designate my time to help with alleviate the burnout or to prevent the burnout from even happening. But it's nice to know that if I've worked on music for like a week straight, I can spend two days, you know, dinking around in Unreal Engine or playing with stable diffusion and AIs and stuff like that. And it kind of just gives me this nice little breakaway where it's not like I'm entirely like just letting my brain rot. I'm still doing something creative and productive. And at the end of the day, a lot of the stuff that I like to do is things that I hope could eventually even like fuse or become part of my music project. So like say with Unreal Engine, I can create these lush environments that could inevitably become album artwork or AI stable diffusion, same process. You know, it's I like to do other hobbies that I feel can help build my project out without, you know, burning myself out with the main core of my project. Gotcha. So let your brain rest in that specific area of work so it, does, it feels less like work. Yes. And then just letting your brain fly free to what other whatever other stuff you wanted to do. Exactly. And right. say even if I was doing music to avoid burnout, like say if I'm working – like right now I'm working on an album. And I like writing music is the fun part. Finishing music is the hard part and the tedious part. You can, you can write and finish a song in like a day – or not finish. You can write a song in a day, like start to finish. But finishing that song, like, you know, finishing the mix down, the mastering and everything, getting it to sound pretty imperfect, that could take months. Yeah. So this brings me back to, like, what I was talking about with another guy. Uh, I think it was Bodie Colway with one of my previous interviews here. Uh, I asked him, like, how do you know when a piece is done? Like, you, you can keep working on something forever and ever and ever. And, you, you know, it's really up to you when you want to release this thing. I know you're working on an album right now, so, like, how do you know when it's good enough? Like what's your barometer for yourself? So that's also something I've been learning to gauge a lot this year, especially with, you know, the whole incident with the record labels and stuff, because, you know, obviously with the record labels, I was trying to put out music that I thought was ready at the time and reflecting back on it, I found that it really wasn't. So my biggest thing that I found now is giving yourself a break. Honestly, when you feel that something is done, don't just slap the sticker on it and send it out the same day. Give yourself like at minimum, like a week of like, if it's art, put it in a closet, hide it. Don't look at it. If it's music, like don't listen to it. Don't think about it. Don't do anything. Like try to detach yourself from it as much as possible because then after coming back to it, like without thinking about it, you're going to have a fresh perspective on it, a fresh new take. Because when you do something over and over and over again for hours, like, your ears, your eyes, everything, they become very numb to the whole process. And there's little things that you're probably like not hearing because you've heard it a million times in that same day. So it's really nice to give yourself that break, come back to it with, you know, fresh ears, fresh perspective. And then you can really stop and ask yourself, is this actually done? And make sure you use references, you know, like obviously you don't want to compare yourself to other people, but like, I think that there is some sort of standard that you should at least hold yourself to. So like, think like does this song at least hold up closely to something else or it doesn't have to be like the best artist in the world like you know if you try to compare yourself to zed or flume obviously it's going to be really hard to determine if a song is done because they're going to sound a lot better at the end of the day you know they've got a whole team behind them of mixing and mastering engineers and a lot of i mean some of them even do it themselves but i would say yeah breaks are your best way to determine you know the end of a project but also like it's also going to come down to experience too because you know like like I said, a year ago, I thought one project was done. And even comparing it to other things, I still thought it was done, but it was trash. So, you know. Well, trash to you now, but in the time, you probably thought it was pretty good. Exactly, yeah. So, so like, what's what's that experience like going back and, like, re-listening to your old stuff? And you're like, ah, I'm so much better now. 
So it's a little frustrating at times, and it's only frustrating in the sense that, like, no, like, I think this is only for me because I'm a bit of like a perfectionist when it comes to this stuff. Like, and I think any creative is, you know, like if anyone's gonna release their work to the world, they want it to be like what is exactly perfect in their eyes, so that way everyone else can see it for how perfect it is. And nine times out of ten, it's not the case. You know, you see it a lot differently than other people do. But you know, I would say that, like, I'm sorry, can we repeat the question? My brain derailed. Uh, how do you know hard. when you're done? Oh no, yeah. sorry, no, that was the last one. Uh, it was um, my brain. What's it like going back and listening to your old stuff and oh, like knowing right. that you're better now? Right. So th- I would say like yeah, like it's a little frustrating. You go back and you listen to it and you feel frustrated because like you know that you can do better and you know that that is still out there in the world and it's not like you can do anything to change that. I mean, you can take it down, but like, how much if you keep taking down anything you make a year later? how are you really going to build a following or a foundation? Like sometimes it's better to leave old stuff up because it kind of shows the progress that you've made in your work along the way. And that speaks a lot more to record labels sometimes, but also, you know, like if something is bad, bad, then yeah, you should probably get rid of it. But like, yeah, but yeah, it's, I would definitely say like, it's a little frustrating, but at the same time, it's also a little vindicating at the same time, because you can look back on it and be like, wow, this like wasn't bad. It wasn't good. But like, and then you go and compare it to something you've made now, but then you'd be like, but this, this is something that's truly amazing. And it just feels so vindicating. And it makes you feel like all of this, like, you know, blood, sweat and tears, all of like the really depressing moments and the really encouraging moments all start to pay off because you can actually see like the fruits of your labor, see that progress that you're making. Nice. It's pretty fair. So, yeah. So what if you were making no progress? What if you woke up one day and you were completely deaf? Could not hear anything. Worst fear. Worst fear. I know it's your worst fear because you're, in, you know, very tied to it. But what would you do? What would, what would you? What would your other options be? Oh, yeah, that is actually a worst case for me. I would be. I would rather go blind than deaf. Um, but if that ever happened to me, like, I mean, again, it'd be very discouraging. Like, I would feel like my whole world is crumbling around me. You know, because like, <laughs> not being able to like. I mean, it's not, but at that point, you know, it's not even just making my music anymore. I can't even appreciate other people's music. And I kind of, I feel like I would have some sort of disconnect from the world, but I feel like my only way I could alleviate that, I would find some way to work in the industry without strictly having to listen to things. So whether that be like, this is obviously not something I would do, but like you could be a lawyer for somebody, you know, that represents copyright cases or something like that. Like there's, you'd be surprised the amount of things that you can do in the music industry without making or knowing how to make music. Interesting. Okay, cool. I mean, it's kind of what I figured you would say. <laughs> yeah. Like basically I, I would find some other way to still be involved in music. And it, I think, you know, it, it would probably be like a bit of a melancholy life because like, while I get to still work with music, I don't get to appreciate right, it Red anymore. <laughs> Lead others to a treasure I can not possess. Yeah, actually. Yes. <laughs> just like put out you know tips and stuff like that and yeah and just actually i guess i couldn't even do that because i can't critique and give feedback so you know i guess i'm just out of luck I feel on that the one. base and it feels pretty cool good job <laughs> yeah exactly yeah maybe i'll just uh critique bass house music yeah so what I, okay i don't understand any of the differentiations between like house music all those like other what's your like Either give me a tier list or just like a description of how you differentiate those very weird niche, not weird, but like those niche genres. So a lot of them for me, I, don't get me wrong. I am not an expert in this by any means. They're like, so I, why are you on this podcast? Get out. I don't want you. Just, what are you doing here? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll go. 
Uh, All right, that was fun. This is Maker's Pace. Love talking to you. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. What's your like checklist or how do you differentiate these things? I mean, so honestly, for me, it's more of you just got to listen. Like you have to listen to a lot of things that are classified under that subgenre. It's even still to this day, like there are hundreds and hundreds of genres of music. And like a lot of those, it's almost like a tree, actually, if you look. So like you'll have like music and there's different trees that start with like electronic or rock or like, you know, as vague as you can get. And then they all branch down into these mini subgenres that are all identified by like unique elements. So like say, you know, you have electronic, but like what differentiates drum and bass music from house music? And it's, it all comes down to like arrangements and patterns. So like well, house. I tried listening to both those things separately last week on Spotify and Spotify did not know the difference. I heard half the same songs on one of the other playlists. Like I literally searched drum and bass music because I want, and like, it's a fun thing to listen to while you're working because it's just like a monotonous kind of thing that like, it just keeps you going. But then I tried listening to house music to switch it up a little bit. And I was getting the same drum and bass songs. Right. So I would say like a lot of algorithmic things like Spotify and stuff like that. It's really hard to tell because like, you know, say if you upload a song to any platform, you can put tags on it, right? You can put tags and say like, this is house or this is future bass or this is drum and bass. But at the, you know, like at the end of the day, like that's not going to be the end all like tried and true. That's what your song is like. You're like, especially with today's day and age with music being so widely available and so widely offered to so many people, like, most people nowadays have a very eclectic musical taste and for produ producers especially because you know you do what you love so you love listening to music you probably listen to a lot of different sorts of music and your music that you write is going to embody those different styles so like for, like i said for me personally like mine is you know electronic with hip-hop elements and orchestral elements and all these other things so i take motifs and things from all of the, the, these different genres and put them together so it's like you could try and argue like, is my music electronic or is it more orchestral or, you know, is it more on the hip hop side? And it's, it's really hard to differentiate, but like, I think it's like one of those things where you like, it's just the more that you listen to more and more of it, you find the similarities between them. So like say drum and bass, you'll might notice that like a lot of them have, they're very sound design focused. A lot of them have like very breakbeat uh, sort of drum styles and things like that. So you look for those little similarities and while, you know, a drum and bass song might adopt house you know uh attributes doesn't necessarily make it a house song so what's the funniest mix of genres you've ever seen like country rap or oh, like God. death drum and bass something like that i mean from a realistic standpoint i don't think i have any examples but there's definitely some great content creators out there who do this exact thing where they will literally spin a wheel of like the most weirdest things you can ever possibly think of like check out people like eliminate and bishu on youtube if you want to but like i've seen things that are like emo death step or like amish house or like amish house yeah you can put you can make that song in a day exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> amish house, i mean there's no elect no electronics so <laughs> is that sacrilegious Wait a minute. <laughs> Can the Amish write electronic music? Is this an ethical debate now? <laughs> I think this is now an ethical or cultural <laughs> cross cultural. <laughs> no, that is pretty funny though. I, I might use that one for the social media. <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, um, yeah, like samples are really interesting to me personally because like you can take like photoshops and stuff like that in the visual world, but like samples in 
music can be almost unrecognizable from their source. But. Yes, and samples are actually weirdly a big controversial topic in music because of their usage. So, like, you know, you have a lot of these, you know, big companies like Splice and um, – you know, I can't think of any other ones off the top of my head. Splice is the main one that I use. But, you know, and they distribute these royalty-free samples, and you pay either, like, a subscription or you pay per sample. And just like – and I feel like this is like this in a lot of different communities, but you always have those really gatekeepy kind of people who will tell you, like, oh, well, your music's not good if you're using samples. That's very unoriginal of you. You know, you're just taking someone else's work and doing it. It's like, well, yeah, if your song consists entirely of samples, then yeah, you should probably reevaluate your career as a musician. Well, you're not a painter. The company made that paint. You're just putting it on a canvas. But even then, it could be argued, like, think about, like, you know, someone like a collage artist. Their whole their whole art is literally just piecing together other pieces recontextualizing other existing things yeah so like even then you could go as far to argue that like using a song entirely of samples could still be art it, it's just at the end of the day it's about how you use it i personally use samples in pretty much all of my songs like that's actually a lot of inspiration for me is like finding a cool either like little loop or just like a little sound in something that just sparks inspiration what's Some, your favorite one that you've like used in a song so far I mean, it, I would say that my favorite one that I've used. So I don't use a lot of ones that you are did like Andre's Hammer one time from Dark did, Souls, right? Yeah, yeah, I did take Andre's Hammer from Dark Souls, and uh, I did make like a little percussion like beat out of it. Ding, so ding, ding, yeah, just like on nice little off beats. But I would say my favorite. So like, sampling is also controversial too because of copyright laws mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So like, if you're using royalty-free samples, it's not something to worry about too much. But if you're trying to like sample like an old school song or a new school song. At that point, then yes, you should make sure that that sample is like unidentifiable as possible because like otherwise you're gonna have a lot of really angry rich people knocking on your door. Those are the last people you want to piss off. <laughs> exactly, uh, and it's not just. It's usually not as simple as just oh take down the song. It's usually it either ends in oh you have to pay a ten thousand dollar fine now or we get pretty much all the royalties from your song and you get nothing. Ah, that's scary. Which is very scary. So I try to stay away from that, but I will say my one favorite sample that I've used so far that was for my real song, and this song will actually be on the album that I plan on releasing next year. Uh, I sampled Flashing Lights by Kanye West. Which uh, is a sample of another thing. Which is a sample of another thing. And that's usually, you know, how it goes. It's always very iterative. Like any like good hip hop song or even like I think any Daft Punk song, you know, is a sample of a sample of a da sample. Daft Punk's sampling is so unrecognizably crazy. It is absolutely crazy. Honestly, like that is like the level of sampling that I would love to get to. Like some of them are not nearly as crazy as other ones, but like if you look at there's a great service or like like channel that's on youtube they also you know upload to social media oh, and stuff so satisfying. Uh, like, the they, sample breakdowns they yeah, yeah they're so cool i love watching and they'll show you like what the original sample was and then they show you like if it was time stretched or how it got to be what the end result was and the one that blew my mind the most was face to face by daft punk it consists of like eight different samples from six different songs hmm. that are all just amalgamated together and I never fully realized that. And even when you're listening to the samples, like in the original song, you don't hear it 
like because they don't even say it's face to face until the end of the video right so like i'm listening and i'm waiting i'm like what daft punk song is this like i don't recognize this and then they play face to face and i had to go rewatch the whole thing over again because i was like no way i was like no there's no way that was face to face <laughs> it's so satisfying when you hear him out in the wild though i was like oh this was like used in this song i get it it's like seeing like an actor your favorite voice actor like actors being like in a different role that you didn't realize they were in that movie like oh yeah. i know that guy yes yeah, it's, it's exactly. so satisfying and I love TikTok and, and YouTube and stuff uh, channels that do that for like peeling back the curtain on music production. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that makes it more feasible. Like, oh wait, you can just turn anything into anything cool. Like, it, uh, right? It's exactly. Inspiring. And that's and that's actually what got me. Partly what got me into music or helped me with learning production is because like learning production is a lot, especially like if you don't have a musical background. And I was fortunate enough to you know grow up in music. I was in band for years and years, and I was always like you know section leader, first chair, like. I was very musically inclined, but I would say without being musically inclined, like learning production was already hard, but without that, it would be considerably hard. And I think samples are actually one of the best ways that you can learn to produce because a lot of samples, you can get them, sure, some of them are as short as one shots and some of them are as long as eight bar loops. And I feel like it's really good because you can learn song arrangement in a very good way like that. And it helps you learn production technical skills because you're not focusing so much on the songwriting aspect. So once you have like a good familiarity with whatever your like digital audio workspace is and have like a good familiarity with like what certain effects do and why they work the way that they do, then it's a lot easier to focus on songwriting because you're not worried so much about trying to learn so many different things at the same time. Gotcha. Cool. Well, a bunch of the same things at the same time is what's basically going on in this studio. So if you were suddenly like signed by a record, say, you know, you decided to do that and they're like, oh, here's infinite you know blank check to like get your sound studio going what are you buying with that so i actually have a whole list if you actually look over (laughs) (laughs) that's Uh, a that's a long list (laughs) that's actually only about half of it uh the rest of it is just like stuff that's kind of in my head so surprisingly this is not enough soundproofing for me not enough foam okay i want more foam uh i want bass traps that go all along the corners and the ridges of the ceiling uh what's like, a bass trap so a bass trap it kind of looks like that thing that's over there so basically it's oh, whole I point see, see. it's it's similar to acoustic foam but it's design is in such a way because so sound waves like you probably realize you know like think of a sine wave mm-hmm. like you know a standard sine wave that's like your pretty Air basic wobbles. yeah and it, it's literally you know vibrating it's oscillating at a certain speed mm-hmm. and you know lower frequencies oscillate much lower or much slower, I mean, and higher frequencies oscillate much faster. So you can tell by the curves on the bass traps that it's meant for a much like slower oscillated wave, and that's their oh, kind nice. of their so intention. That's why the, the um, ridges are farther apart. Yeah, that's why it's a little bit wider in comparison. And uh, so you basically line those up all in the corners and the tree or in the trees. I'm looking at my list over here and now I'm mixing up my words. Uh, but up in the like the ceiling ridges but then you know like we talked about earlier I also want diffusers because it's good to keep like a natural sound in Mm -hmm. your studio especially if you're working in a studio that has like a recording booth or any sort of like microphones and that's another thing I want I want a recording booth these seem pretty achievable with like you know a couple thousand dollars what's your like dream studio setup dream studio setup is like you know, is like think about like you go to a studio in LA and they have like, like Kenny like, Beats Cave. Yeah, Ken, like yes, around. exactly. <laughs> you have like a desk that's the size, or not even like just a desk, but like a desk that is like half desk, half keyboard, half mixing board, and everything, and it's built right into the wall, and that's all connected. Those things look like like Star Wars spaceship cockpit uh, co-pilots to it, me, or cockpits does. to me. 
like it, I don't understand a single thing that's going on in there. <laughs> it, it's very foreign, and honestly, like even still, like you know, I, I've gotten a lot better about it. But like not having physical hardware, you don't work with it too much. You just kind of have to like go off of intuition and stuff. But mm-hmm. like, I'd say I got a lot better about it. But yeah, like when I first started, I was in the same boat. Like looking at that was like, huh. Uh. <laughs> Looks like someone ripped open a transformer in here. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like, yeah, like you said, it's like the putt, like, you know, being in the cockpit of a plane where it's like, well, what does this do? Don't touch that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's the die button. <laughs> that makes your audio sound awful. <laughs> like, that's pretty much everything on a mixing board is like, if you touch it ever just so much, it'll make it sound awful, but you touch it just right and it'll make it sound amazing. <laughs> the deep fry button. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Well, I mean, it says you want a bonsai tree on your list. I can propagate one for you. <laughs> so that's actually more aesthetic than it is anything. I can still get you a bonsai tree I'm, from my bonsai tree. I'm open to that. Like, if if you were willing to give me one, the main reason is because I have that little guy over there. I'm a big fan of Miyazaki films, so I got a, a little... No face on yeah, the swing. It's, it's so a, cute. It's a no face on a swing, so I, I he's hanging from the desk right now. But ideally, I want to get a bonsai tree that I'll maintain and upkeep. Uh, and then I want him to swing from the branch of the bonsai tree. Oh, that'd be cute. Yeah. Yeah. So that's more of aesthetic. So, like, uh, I mean, you have all these lights and cool things on the wall. Like, how important is it to you to have a studio that's, like, that you feel comfortable in? I personally believe it's very important just purely because of the fact that, like, it's very, like, hard to write good music if you can't get into, like, a flow state, so mm-hmm. to speak. And flow state. Are you in good hands? Are you in good hands? <laughs> But, like, for me, like, you know, like, say, like, if I have people in the room or something like that, it's it's almost near impossible for me to enter that flow state. Or if I'm, like, working, say, even if I'm by myself or if I'm on a plane with a laptop or on a train or something. And you've or, dedicated an entire room of your house to this. I like, did, yeah. I spent about ten grand on this room, and the next one I plan to spend about two to three times as much. Ooh. This is why, like, being an illustrator, I just have an iPad and I'm good. Yeah, right? <laughs> but, like, I bet even as an illustrator, though, you know, outside of your iPad, I'm sure there's, like, oh, yeah, so there's many like, things you could do to expand that. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And that's, like I said earlier when we started, you know, you can make music with this as simple as a laptop, some headphones, and, you know, a digital audio workspace. And that's all you need. And a need. chip on your shoulder. <laughs> yeah, basically. That's all you need. But, like, for me, I, you know, not only have I been doing this for years – and not only do I want to take this to, like, I want to make my music a career, which I already have in a way, but that's also the other thing is I do have a career in music and audio now. So, like, it makes more sense for me to have this elaborate studio set up because... Yeah, no, it's paying for it. It's it's paying for it. And, like, in a way, like, this is allowing me to provide more quality results for my job, which hopefully will I will see that return in the future. Yeah, I think you're going to be doing fine. Well, I know you're doing fine. You're doing great, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, You're doing buddy. awesome. So can you tell people how, how awesome you are? Plug your stuff. So you can check me out on any major music platform, Spotify, Apple. You can even put your mu- my music in TikToks. I've got about three songs out right now. But I would say, like we've talked about, not a great representation of my work. But I do have an 11-track album that is on the way, aiming for release of next year. And this is going to be the soft reboot of ZAX. And I hope to give you guys a good preview of what's Z-A to come. hyphen X. Yeah, right. sorry. So it's spelled Z, all caps, Z-A hyphen X. But a lot of people say Z-A X. Uh, you will get stabbed if you say that. Um, you will not get stabbed. That is an empty threat. <laughs> it's a promise. Okay. <laughs> 
uh, do you have a website, Instagram, any other platform you want to, f- to find you on? Yeah, uh, you can check me out on pretty much any social. So Twitter, Instagram, I'm on there. It's uh, at ZA, and since you can't do hyphens and ats, which is really awful for search engine compatibility. But yeah, uh, yeah it's uh, at ZA. ZA it's yeah it's at za underscore x official gotcha yeah cool um but yeah be sure to check me out on there be on the lookout for the album coming uh because i plan to do some really great things and take this project to the next level there any public miscreants things people can see or hear uh public miscreants things Mm, uh, i mean don't worry about it yeah i don't think a lot of our stuff is either for private that i've done so far has been for either private events or for clients that i am not legally allowed to talk about so gotcha gotcha well you're about to hear or you may have already heard the intro uh from makerspace which was made by the wonderful austin zangy aka zax so thank you thank you yeah thanks again man i really appreciate you coming on yeah thanks for having me man this is so much fun Yeah, well, this has been Makerspace, and we'll talk to you soon. See you later, everybody.